I'm being good, I'm being quiet, and I'm being haven. It's you show what you want to show. Always keep your hands up. Yeah, nice rusty mattress. You know, when you have a serious concussion, you're supposed to fucking rest. Welcome to Work the Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Palola. With me, as always, Mike Kennedy. Hello, Hello Mike. Hello, Edward. This week, this is uh, a personal favorite for me, right near the top of the list. 2005 Cinderella Man, released on June 3rd of 2005. It had a budget of $88 million, yet it only grossed $61 million domestically. So it was definitely a box office flop worldwide. Did crack $108 million, but... You have to think after advertising, it's definitely a loss. Interesting thing I read said that the Depression-era drama made headlines for being not only one of the best rewarded films of 2005, but one of the least well-attended. After four weeks of release, the film had taken around $50 million. Uh, Even during the box office slump at the time, it was a disappointment, especially considering the good buzz surrounding it. AMC theaters hoped to keep the film and start a unique offer of a money-back guarantee. Ticket buyers who did not like the film were promised that their money would be refunded, no question asked. Because I love this movie. I think this movie's awesome. And here's my question. Do you feel this movie would have done much better today in the world of social media, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, where the word would have gotten out more about it and maybe a better press tour, Maybe they didn't put it out there correctly. This was also before boxing movies were cool. Like there was Rocky. And then after 1980, what was Rocky for? 86. After that, you didn't have another good boxing movie until this one. No, I, I, what I think probably you're right with like social media and everything. But I think one of the big kickers in this is when deep down when you realize that this is a true story. And from what I researched, it is supposedly pretty accurate with like what actually happened like i was looking at some right. stuff and it's it's pretty accurate film so to to see that get pushed along with that is also really really cool and i'm surprised like it you know like it gets ratings everywhere but i actually read somewhere where you were talking about that how it didn't have a good press release and like it stuff like that and it just did not do well that they actually um they did some things like they offered like a guarantee. I think it was AMC offered a guarantee. Yeah, they offered a, a guarantee your money yeah. back. Yeah, there was like if you didn't like it, and I think they only got like fifty refunds. I think they said well, at least fifty yeah. patrons demanded refunds, and it's like those people were just probably assholes wanting their money back. Probably, probably. It's got a little bit of everything, I, you know. It's like just when you're getting a little like I was as I was watching it, you know, I haven't watched it in actually a really long time. But I was watching it. It's got the good parts where. Right when you're kind of like, ah, I'm kind of getting, feel like it's about to get slow, boom, they get the boxing in there or something goes and that like gets right, you back into right. it. So th- there isn't, it's it's not so much a boxing movie as it's focusing on this Braddock guy trying to support his family throughout the Great Depression. Yeah, I mean, I definitely call this a sports movie, but it's got a whole lot around it that's not exactly. sports. Exactly, yeah. The other thing is, I was thinking about this today. Being that this movie was released in 2005, there was a lot of people that lived through this era that were still alive and knew Jim Braddock's story. I'm surprised it didn't do better. 
based off that alone. Like enough people would have gone to see it, but maybe just, again, it probably wasn't advertised right. Uh, Maybe it got, I I never read anywhere, but maybe it's release got pushed back or something. There's something wrong somewhere that they just did not get the right amount of buzz surrounding it that it deserved. Now, like you said, you know, Paul Giamatti was still pretty, pretty known, I guess, at that time. And um, was this before Sideways? You know, I don't. I'm pulling yeah, it up look, right look it up now. real quick because okay. I, I don't want to speak wrong. But it, yeah, no, it was after Sideways was before yeah. this, and he was a that was a big deal for him. He, you know, he really kind of came out of his shell in that movie. In terms of not came out of a shell, but really made a name for himself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He 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 definitely was known. Russell Crowe was definitely known. He'd already done Gladiator, Proof of Life, A Beautiful Mind, which I think he was at least nominated for a Academy Award, and then Master and Commander. That was 2000 through 2003. Just not sure how this didn't carry. Do you remember the first time we saw this movie? I don't. In college. Because we had never heard of it. Neither one of us had. And we were amazed by how good it was. And we watched it. uh, Mm -hmm. And again, you and I were big movie people. We had no idea about this movie. That's very true. Like I said, I I know I've seen this movie probably. This was probably like the third time. Oh, I've seen this movie many a time. (laughs) I mean, back, I I can't, I I said ago, it's probably been 10 years since I'd seen it probably, though. Wow, I was just pulling up Russell Crowe's IMDb here. He has not done a good movie since 2008. Really? He's had a lot of flops. Robin Hood was a huge flop. And to tell you the truth, I, I don't go by what their flops were, because when it comes down to it, like, I didn't think that movie was good, but I didn't think it was bad. Uh, Noah was terrible. Oh, he did the nice guys, and supposedly the that nice guy. The nice guys was good. I saw that. Man of Steel, I think, was a fine movie, and I think he did a fine job for his yeah. part. Yeah, and he I'm was. Like, in it. It's very limited to what he's yeah, in. It, but I didn't see Le Miserable. Le Miserable, yeah. No, and I'm not gonna. Point being, this this movie should have gotten a lot more attention and buzz than it did. Mm. What would you guess the Rotten Tomato score is? The critic score, Mike. Uh, probably 77, 80%. I guess I could see some people complaining. I don't know. I don't know what critic could see this movie and think it's not filmed well. And it's not a good storyline, but I guess around 20% of them Uh, feel that way. I I read a Chicago review about this and they like, I was going to send it to you because you would have been infuriated by how he was just bashing the movie, like how he thought it was like terrible. And I was like, I was like, I just watched this movie last night. I was like, you're a piece of crap. Because you don't know anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, here's the proof. Guess what the audience score is. Well, then if you're going to say it like that, probably 90-ish. 91%. I could see 9% of people thinking the movie's too long, or they just don't get it, or they don't like the boxing stuff. But yeah, 91%. That feels more like it. IMDb score of 8 out of 10. Which I feel that it probably should be a tick higher, but that, that's about right. I mean, an 8 out of 10 is good, though. An 8 out of 10 is very good, but I, I feel even this could have been a little bit higher than that. 
The cast of the movie, let's start with the director, Ron Howard. Yes, that Ron Howard, the father of the infamous Bryce Dallas Howard. He's directed a ton of movies. I'm not even getting what he's acted in, but he directed Rush, A Beautiful Mind, which he won an Oscar for, Apollo 13, and he even directed Willow. Did you know that, Mike? I did not know that he directed Willow. It was like one of his first movies. He directed Willow. Uh an interesting fact about this, Ron Howard and Russell Crowe started talking about making Cinderella Man when they were making A Beautiful Mind four years earlier. So this was – and there's a, um, a thing about Renee Zellweger, who I'll mention next, from Jerry Maguire, me, myself, and Irene, Chicago. She's been in a couple other things. Russell Crowe approached Renee Zellweger to play the role of May all the way back in 1998. He had started considering this. He said that through the years, when he was trying to get it made, she always said yes. So good for them. They had that working relationship, I guess. Russell Crowe plays James J. Braddock. He's gladiator, master commander, beautiful mind, as we brought up. Paul Giamatti plays Joe Gould. He won. He had an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Can you guess who he lost to that year, 2005? Best Supporting Actor? Yeah. Sean Penn. George Clooney for Siriana. <laughs> I know that somebody, I was looking at something and somebody, <laughs> I, think, I, think Sean, I think Sean Penn was, um, he might have been nominated for something. I, I He might have been. That might have been like around Mystic River maybe around yeah, that, that time could, frame. That, that could have been, yeah. Um, here, I'll even pull up the field because I just had it. It's the only Oscar nomination he's ever had. The 2006 Oscars, which is the year of 2005, people did not like the way that year went. That's the year Crash won Best Movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman did win for Capote for Best Leading Actor. The field was Jake Gyllenhaal, Brokeback Mountain, Matt Dillon, Crash, William Hurt, A History of Violence, George Clooney for Siriano, the winner, and then Paul Giamatti for Cinderella Man. I don't know how Giamatti didn't walk away with that thing. I mean, he was... Crash is not a good movie, and that that's... History has not done well for that. That's another example of the uh, they should give them out five years later role. Yeah, because it, like you said, this movie didn't perform well that year. It's more of like one of those movies that did well after the fact. Yeah. So it's kind of. Hmm. Interesting thing. George Clooney was not one for Siriana for Best Supporting Actor, but it also nominated for Best Director for Good Night and Good Luck. Interesting. He, um, you ever seen that? It is. Yeah, it's a good movie. I've never watched it. I don't know how. I've... It's it's you know. Like I say, it's been a very long time, but I watched it. It's very interesting. A lot of like you know terroristic-y type stuff going on in it. I feel like um, the category of the movie helped him win a little bit, which is Syriana is a, it's all about the oil industry in the middle of the George Bush era versus a boxing movie. And I think that hurt that ended up hurting Paul Giamatti and handing it to Clooney. But I got more about Giamatti a little later. The other characters, uh, Craig Bierko plays Max Bear. I looked at Craig Bierko's IMDb. It is a modge pods of random stuff. 
mm-hmm. other than one of the scary movie movies. I think it's number four. That's, that's I've almost never seen him, him in anything else. And I yep. like him as Max Bear. In fact, he's really good as Max Bear. But I just don't – I guess it just never clicked for him beyond this. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like he definitely could have. He's, he's another one of those people that I feel like should have had a better career, and it just never that's kind of It's kind of what I'm getting at. Like he he could have had a much better career. Not that I mean, he's, a lot of, you get a lot of these guys that are late bloomers. I feel yeah. like tall, good looking guy. Seems like he's got good charisma. He plays a cocky asshole really well. I feel like he sh- could have easily picked up a part every now and again. Like I think I read somewhere Samuel Jackson's first role, first major role was like he was like forty six years old or something like that. Um, yeah, him. Think somewhere John Ham. Morgan Bra- Freeman's first major role was he was 52 years old or something yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, Bradley Cooper was a late bloomer, although he was in his late 30s. But uh, I wouldn't call him a late bloomer. He was in um, Wedding Crashers. Like, yeah, I guess he was a little younger than Wedding Crashers. But I don't know. It just felt like by the time he broke out, which was The Hangover, I think he was in his late 30s. But either way, yeah, I, I agree. There are a lot. There are some actors that they don't have success until much later in their life, and it then it takes off for them. So last people I want to bring up, Bruce McGill, who plays Jimmy Johnson. We have a highlight on him coming a little later. And then just randomly, I don't know her from anything else, Rosemary DeWitt plays Sarah, who is the wife. But an interesting fact about her, she is the granddaughter of the real James J. Braddock. She is the daughter of the daughter Rosemary who is portrayed by Ariel Waller in the film. So the little girl that you see in the movie that is actually the real one had a daughter named Rosemary who is got to act in this movie. So that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah. And I I had to put it in. Clint Howard gets the cameo because Ron Howard always slips him in one of his movies. He's the ref when he breaks his hand. When Braddock breaks his hand, he's the ref. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good old Clint Howard. He always gets a random cameo in a, in a Ron Howard movie. He's not an attractive human being. No, he is not. <laughs> no, he is not. He's a goofy looking dude. And that's what he usually plays. So why don't yeah, you yeah. get the movie synopsis going for us, Mike? Jim Braddock, a once promising light heavyweight boxer, is forced into retirement after injuries and a string of losses in the ring. As the United States enters the Great Depression, Braddock does manual labor as a longshoreman to support his family even with his injured hand unfortunately he cannot get work every day but thanks to a last minute cancellation Braddock finds himself back in the ring against the second ranked world contender and to everyone's amazement Braddock wins in the third round despite being much lighter and older than his opponents Braddock continues to fight against challengers and win dubbed the Cinderella man Braddock faces his toughest challenger in Max Bear, the heavyweight champion of the world, renowned for having killed two men in the ring. On June 13, 1935, in one of the greatest upsets in boxing history, Braddock defeats the seemingly invincible Bear to become the heavyweight champion of the world. At the end of the movie, in the epilogue, it reveals Braddock would later lose his title to Joe Lewis and then later worked for the building of the Verrazano. Verrazano, right? yep. Verrazano yep. Bridge. 
owning and operating heavy machinery on the docks where he worked during the Depression, and that he and May used the boxing income to buy a house where they spent the rest of their lives. Uh, the Verizona Bridge is a double-decker suspension bridge that connects New York City boroughs of Staten Island and Brooklyn. Just a little fact. just Because yep. I didn't know what that was. So I It's a it pretty up. amazing bridge, to be honest. I looked at pictures on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so I am looking at... Uh, you were off on Sean Penn winning. He won in 2004 for Mystic River. But there were some really awful movies in 2004, 5, and 6 that, went out, that were released. A lot of them. Like, the ones that won were not good. So, no wonder you and I never really watched any movies in that time. Because 2007 is when The Departed came out. Well, 2006, the 2007 Oscars, 2006. And that's when movies started to pick back up again. It was all, like, comedies. Like, all the Will Ferrell comedies of the mid-2000s. But I like the good dramas were just trash. Not much good going on. Well, before we move on to the next part, let's take a break with a word from our sponsor. All right, Mike, let's get into the, the our favorites here. Start with what's the best scene or scenes? I, have, I wrote down three when he knocks out that first guy after he makes his comeback. Corn Griffin. Yeah, Corn Griffin. that one's really, really good. Because you don't see it. If you don't know the movie, you don't see it coming. Yeah, you're not really sure what's going to happen in the fight. And, you know, I I mean, like, I knew he was going to win, but because I'd seen it before. But at the same time, I just, I like, I like that scene where it's just, he's just so, because I guess it's like he's been so down in the dumps. He's going to make 250 bucks, you know, doing this quick fight, you know, win or lose, he's getting this money. So, yeah, I did the math, by the way. Uh, I looked. Uh, I found a thing online that would like convert it. Uh, Two hundred and fifty dollars in nineteen thirty-four, which is when that fight was, is about like forty-four hundred dollars today. So it's not like it's. I mean, that's obviously a drastic amount of money, like in terms of what it was then, what to what it is now. But forty-four hundred dollars is not going to get you very far. Um, but when you're in the Great Depression, you've been living like, you know. Oh, look. $250 doesn't seem like it would get you very far, but obviously it would get you very far at the time, I guess. As you yeah. said, it put a little, it little put a little space between his kids and the street. And that's what mattered to him. Um, it was one step closer to normalcy, I guess you could say, you know, yeah, and that's all you, it's all people in the depression were trying to get. And 34 yeah. was like the heart of it. it. They hadn't really started to come back out of it. That took until, you know, the late, 30s and then into the 40s when the war started maybe my favorite just like quick scene is when he's fighting lasky and he takes like his big punch and like everybody thinks he's going to get knocked out and he just his like mouthpiece flies out and everything and then he just kind of like smiles at him and picks his mouthpiece up exactly i have the exact same thing written down and you just kind of like look at him and you're just like oh he's going to beat the shit out of this guy now (laughs) well speaking of the depression era stuff how it flashes through and he sees the empty bed where his kids were and the milk bottles and just kind of everything. And he processes mine. like, I got to give everything I have because this is all I got. And that, that's just kind of a, a really cool thing. I like the way they put that together. And then they show when he breaks his nose, which is pretty cool. Cause Joe's yelling at him to get in his face and break his nose. And uh, I think the last part that I put is I just kind of, uh, when they're showing the fight against, 
bear at the end, just how dirty the fight was overall. I just enjoyed that end fight because you know that kind of shit probably went on all the time back then. Probably, probably. It's probably pretty loose. Like, you know, hitting people in the groin, headbutting. You know, he, there's a scene where he's holding the guy's arm and punching him. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, that, I'm like you cannot do that. Well, like, they show – another thing they show is when after he beats Corn Griffin and he comes back out and sees Bear fighting that guy and he walks over and the ref's essentially like standing next to the guy and he walks over and reaches over the ref and just punches the guy. That was a bit aggressive. Right, but that's what I have written down. You can go ahead. I had those three. And then the other thing I had, it hurts to see, but the scene where he goes to the club and asks for the money <laughs> that's is why kind of say. like the pinnacle of the movie because it is the – actually, not really the pinnacle, but the trough of the movie. It's the absolute rock bottom he hits. It's like so – as I said, it's painful to watch, but it really brings everything together and you see him run and talk to Joe. And you can see Joe's eyes almost welling up and you see his eyes welling up and you can feel the just shit in his life. Uh, it's just a really good scene. It was really well done. And I, I don't know how much of that is true. I think it is true that he went on public assistance and did give it back. But I don't know whether he actually that is true. went to the group and asked for the rest so he could get the heat back on. So that might have been a little artistic licensing, but. Either way, it's it's pretty pretty amazing. Just just pretty much saying he did everything that he possibly could. To... Yeah, and he's doing whatever he can just to provide for his family so he can just have the heat on. That's all. So yeah, I, I'm in the same place as you though. It's tough to watch, but it's a powerful scene. As you yes, say. yes, as one would say, it's a powerful scene. Best line or lines that you've got, Mike? Um, I like the one where the kids, his son's jumping on the. Just the springs. There's no padding or anything on it. Nice rusty mattress. Yeah, nice rusty mattress. Jumping up and down. He's like yells up at him, asking what he's doing. He goes, "I'm being good. I'm being quiet, and I'm being hazy." I use that line all the time. I do. I'll say, "I'm being good. I'm being hazy." I don't say, "I'm being quiet." I say, "I'm being good. I'm being hazy." I just kind of like smile when he said that. I was like, "Ah, that's a good one." That's a good one. Yep. (laughs) When Max Bear says, this isn't a joke, pal. People die in fairy tales all the time. Yep, good line. When Joe goes to Jim to tell him about the $250 fight, he's like, I'd fight your wife for $250. Yeah. Or <laughs> he's, like, now, he's like, now you're dreaming. He's like, and your gr- grandmother at the same time. He's like, teeth in or out. He yep. goes, take them out. Then you're dead. You're down. You're gone. No chance. Yep. <laughs> when Joe's talking to Jimmy Johnson, he goes, you're all heart. He goes, my heart's for my family. My brains and my balls are for business. Yep. And my last one is, you got to stop some of those lefts. You, you see any getting past my head? <laughs> yeah, I had that one written down <laughs> that I took it out because I didn't want to have too many. That's my last one. Now, I don't have any audio clips for this movie. And it's not exactly a quotable movie, but watching it last night, there, there are a lot of good lines in this movie, though. Uh, I had the, my brains and balls are for business. I had the I'm being have. One I liked is it's rate it kind of ties into the rock bottom when they're sitting down and she starts praying, you know, saying grace. And he just kind of stops her and he says, I'm all prayed out. He just had had enough of asking five years worth of asking and said, I'm, I'm, I'm all prayed out. I don't know. I, it's just kind of a, again, I hate to say powerful scene because people use overuse that, but it is a little bit like it kind of gets you in where his head is and what he's thinking. He's just like, you know, 
I, we've been praying for so long and nothing's improved. Nothing's changed, yeah. It's like, what's the point, pretty much, is what he's saying. Yep. I, I'm going to say this. About 98% of what Joe Gould says is something that I could include. The two I'm going to say the most. One is when May goes to confront him and she finds out he sold all of his furniture. Uh-huh. And she says, but, you know, the house and the stuff, he said, it's you show what you want to show. Always keep your hands up. I, I like that line a lot. Always keep your hands up. And then another one that he has is when he gives his speech to try and get back, Braddock back in. And essentially just says, people love him. They had to get more newspapers. Let's say he goes in, he loses. You get your revenge and you make more money. But if he wins, you get extra publicity and then you make more money anyways. And like the way he kind of talks his way into getting him there is really, really good. I didn't write this down, but I like in general, a lot of his, the things he says to Braddock during the fights. Like the advice he's given him because he's right on point with everything. He seems to know exactly what to do and how to beat the guy and how to move and how to punch. And he's, he's a really, really good ring man. It's real interesting to listen to him talk. I don't know if you had any more. Like, like, like you said, Paul G. Mahdi is a very spastic, like, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, uh, he's an overactor. <laughs> and, and that's okay for some of the stuff that he does. Yes. And interesting thing about Paul Giamatti, I'm going to bring this up. You may or may not have known this. His dad was the commissioner of Major League Baseball and died of a heart attack while he was commissioner. I did not know that. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up here. I'll tell you this much. Paul Giamatti was 37 years old in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Did not know that. He was 31 in Saving Private Ryan. Looked like he was like 41. He's none of those guys with like an old face. Yeah. He, he's looked the same age forever. But, but I mean, like, he's 52 now, and he probably looks 55, maybe a little bit older. It's because of his bald head is a lot of it. He's got a very round face, I think, and I would say he looks like the most in shape human being. But I remember looking it up and being like, he was 31 years old in Saving Private Ryan. I go, he looks 10 years older than me. Yeah. That movie. He was was younger than me. Yeah. Pulling up his dad, Angelo Bartlett Giamatti, or A. Bartlett Giamatti, was commissioner of Major League Baseball for only – he was the president of the National League. And he was – he and Pete Rose really did not get along. And he's the one that banished Pete Rose for life for gambling. And – what is it? Eight days after he banished him for life, he died at the age of 51 of a heart attack. He was a heavy smoker. But he was only commissioner of Major League Baseball from April 1st to September 1st of 1989. And he... He died in... He died, you know... He suspended Pete Rose for life and then died. But that was was Paul Giamatti's He's like, I'm just going to suspend this guy and then die. It's cool. Yeah, and Paul Giamatti is now 52. So he outlived his dad, at least. Anyhow smoke that's yeah heavy heavy smoking i'll do that to you but i'm gonna say this uh favorite characters joe gould is the one i'm always gonna pick i mean we can say max bear was was cool and all but it's all about joe gould for me he's i'd say one of my five favorite characters of all time is joe gould in this movie i'm probably overdoing it but just to me every time i watch this movie i'm, I'm sucked in by everything he does and everything he says i don't know if i'm gonna say top five of all time but i also put him down 
as mine. Paul Giamatti is my favorite character in the, in this movie. Yeah, I can't really say anything negative about him. I think we should compile that list. Do you think you could can even come up with the top five characters of all time? That'd be really hard, but I could I could attempt. I think I might have four that I could think of off the top of my head, but if I actually sat down, I probably could come up with about probably ten would be easier to do. Five would be really tough. All right, uh, moving on since we've heaped praise on Paul Giamatti for now. I'll be back for more later, I'm sure. Our top five for this week. We went with Bruce McGill. We thought about doing Paul Giamatti, and then I looked at Bruce McGill and realized, yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff, and I kind of forgot about it. So why don't you give me your top five, Mike? You can give a five through one or just five in if, if you feel like it. Um, I'm looking at him. I'll give you a rough, a rough top five. I'll start with number five, and I'm going to put Cinderella Man. Okay. He, Jimmy Johnson and Cinderella Man. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Collateral. If you've seen Collateral, have you seen Collateral? I have not. You've told me that movie's good. I, I've never seen it though. Very good. Tom Cruise, Jimmy Fox. Yeah, I've heard uh, Tom Cruise is excellent in it as a creepy bad guy. Oh, Tom, Tom Cruise is excellent. He's a hitman, and Jimmy Fox is a cab driver, and he picks him up for his fare, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna pay for, pay for you the whole night. Just drive me around to these spots," and then a dead guy falls on the roof of this cab. Ah. <laughs> At the first stop, essentially. So he's stuck with him the whole night knowing that he's driving around a serial killer, but there's nothing they can do, pretty much. Um, I got My Cousin Vinny. Yep. Animal House. Uh-huh. D-Day. And MacGyver is Jack Dalton, as I have my number one. I just don't know. There's, that show has something deep down. He, he's like, you said, you go, you said his name. And I looked him up, and I was like, I had to look him up for a second because I was like, "Who's Bruce McGill?" And I looked him up, I'm like, "Oh shit, oh, I know who yeah. he is." <laughs> Jack, Jack Dalton. That's yeah. exactly what I said, Jack Dalton. Yeah. And I put it in a close. I have like almost like a ton that I wanted to add. It was like the more and more I looked, like in he, him in Black Sheep. I don't remember him in Black Sheep. Oh, he's the right hand man of like the bad mayor lady. Oh. He, he gives her up at the end. Just I like, haven't he's, seen like, that drunk. in a while. I have him in Law Abiding Citizen and Runaway Jury, where he's the judge. I forgot about him in Runaway that, Jury. That, that, I had. That uh, I kind of just put some, you know, those are some honorable mentions. Yeah. I had Animal House 5, Law Abiding Citizen 4, My Cousin Vinny 3, uh, MacGyver 2. And I actually do really like him in Cinderella Man. I had that as my top one for him. Well, before we move on to the next part, let's take a break with a word from our sponsor. All right. So, thoughts on the movie, Mike? Let me get a couple things in here that are interesting facts. I'll do a lot of the facts later when we actually do internet facts, but a couple interesting things. So in the fights between the fight that opens the movie, when you see him win, which is in 1928, and the one where he breaks his hand, he went 11-25-1 in those fights. Jim Braddock did in real life. Huh. Yeah, I actually pulled up his, his boxing career and looked it up. So he really did get beat up a lot over that time. Uh, in the fight where he breaks his hand, you know, he said he was in Mount Vernon, New York. It was actually a benefit for the Mount Vernon Police Department Home Relief Fund. And all those guys were booing and yelling at him and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. I think that's all I had in real facts. Do you have anything before he breaks his hand? Oh, I, I mean, when it comes to just 
I was just more talking about. I don't really have anything about. We can talk in general. That's what I'm just if saying. You want generals. A, little, a little more in general, just like you know, thoughts on the movie. Like I think it does paint a really good picture of what life was like during the Great Depression. Yeah, it was uh, depressing. <laughs> yeah, it was depressing. Uh, you know, I'm a not for World War. I have an intense obsession for World War II, but I really have this strong interest, liking, connection, whatever to really that like 50 years that runs from 1895 to 1945. You know, my great grandparents on my dad's side all immigrated from Italy through Ellis Island in like mid 1905, 1910, somewhere in that range. Uh, All the movies that kind of look at that and romanticize that always catch my attention, always catch my interest. But they romanticize it. As you said, this movie really gives a good example of how shitty life really was back then. You know, they never really said what the infant mortality rate was. But May says that interesting thing when she sends the kid off. She's like, well, what if one of them gets sick? It's not like today where "Ah, we'll just get him some penicillin. He's on his way. Penicillin, I don't think, was invented yet. There wasn't a polio vaccine. Like life was really, really rough back then. And this movie really does a nice job of encapsulating that and showing just how tough things were and the thing is too it's like just because your kid gets sick and if you if you can't take them to the doctor if you're bringing them right back into a terrible living condition doesn't mean they're going to get healthy right exactly exactly they're eating like one piece of ham a day that's like all they had something else that you know when you're just showing the boxing in general i'm gonna probably talk a little bit it's kind of about the movie but it's kind of about kind of facts but it's kind of sure go with it man too. it's um like about his broken hand, he actually did break his hand more than once, and it's that that is an, the actual hand injury that pretty much ended his career that first time. Uh, he was known though be, for being able to fight through intense pain, which we obviously see because they show like you know broken ribs, you know just hand, ribs, nose. You know they they were tough sons of bitches back in the day. <laughs> yeah, they had to be. It's like they didn't have much of a choice. I mean, they would fight. Let's see, in 1933 alone, he fought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches in 1933 alone. What I'm saying, too, is that that's how popular boxing was in the 30s. It's like the only yeah. thing more popular than it was baseball. Maybe horse racing, too. Horse racing was so huge then. It was probably, you know, just saying that, you know, it was one of the biggest things. Obviously, these boxers, like I know the, the real bear, he died at the age of like 50 or something like that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't in real life. Part. Well, his son. There you go. Here's a fun fact for you. His son uh, played. What's his face? Um, from the Beverly Hillbillies. Really? Yeah, he played. Uh, Max Jeth- Bear Jr. Jeth- Jethro. Yeah. He played Jethro in the original, whatever you know, from the original Beverly Hillbillies, and he actually is quoted saying he, you know, because in this movie they make him look out. Yeah. Complete ass. Wow, it is him. bad. That apparently Bear, according to his son, he, he hated boxing. In quotes, he goes, he thought it was horseshit. He really wanted to be an actor. Wow, that's interesting. And he never got to see his son be the actor because he died at the age of, uh, I think it's 50 or 51 or something like that. Of like, I just had it up. Hold on, I just had him up. Uh, heart attack. Max Bear died, yeah, not, November 21st, 1959 at the age of 50. He fought 81 fights. He finished 59 and 13. These are just questions that I had, like, about the movie that kind of, like, 
did Braddock's kids get sent away? Yes, they actually did it a lot longer than they show in the film. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. His inability to pay the bills it kept his family together. During the bitter 1934 was the final straw that sent Jim to the relief agency. It was much longer than the film shows. Okay. And then I was wondering, did he actually only have a two days notice with that first comeback fight with the Griffin guy? And two days notice is accurate. He later, Braddock later said he would have fought on two hours notice so badly he needed the money. As for the stomach, the growling stomach, it's a great moment in the film, but whether or not Jim actually tried to gulp down hash that his manager, Joe, brought, brought him just minutes before the fight is unknown. Well, why don't we do, let's do some facts, because this is a true story, and let's compare the truth versus the, the movie itself. Uh-huh. So I have a couple other things. Jim Braddock's real children were supportive of the movie as long as it portrayed their, their dad accurately. They actually shared insight and some family letters to help the screenplay. So that was good. This is a crazy fact, and I, I didn't validate this, but I, I got it from where I got it. The real Jim Braddock weighed 17 pounds when he was born. It's a big baby. That's a massive baby. Veronica was under like five and a half pounds. He was literally three times the size of her. He was one of five boys and two girls born to Irish parents. I didn't see this specifically, but I, I know I heard part of this story somewhere else that Braddock trained like a maniac for the Max Bear fight, and Max Bear didn't really take it seriously. And he let his ego get the best of him. And probably had Bear trained well, he probably would have beat him. You know, Braddock poured his heart and soul into it, and Max Bear was not quite as bad, and I, I have him down below. Also, there's a high school in North Bergen, New Jersey, because he's a Ber- the Bulldog of Bergen. North Bergen, New Jersey, it's named after James J. Braddock. It's called James J. Braddock High now. Huh. So those are some actual facts. A Joe Gould fact. Joe Gould and Jim Braddock did enlist in World War II. In 1944, Joe Gould, then a captain in the U.S. Army, was court-martialed on charges of conspiracy to accept bribes for awarding of Army contracts. He was convicted, fined $12,000, which would be $171,000 today, and sentenced to three years hard labor and a dishonorable discharge from the military. Joe Gold, not that great of a guy, I guess. And then some Max Bear stuff. So in the film, Max Bear is portrayed as being cold and heartless about killing Frankie Campbell. In reality, he was really, really sorry for it, felt awful towards his family, donated a good part of his winnings to money to them, but he was very competitive in the ring, and he would get carried away, but he tried to always be a gentleman and a good person. Also... When he did kill Frankie Campbell, he didn't, like, stand over him and celebrate. He actually stayed by his side for 30 minutes waiting for the ambulance to show up. And he broke down in tears when he found out the guy died. And it, uh, Max Bear Jr. said that his father always had haunting memories of killing a man in the ring. Yeah, also, I, I think I heard he didn't actually kill two people in the ring. Someone, he, someone died, like, a few weeks after a fight. But it wasn't related to Max Bear punching him in the head. It was like completely unrelated. Well, what what they said in the movie is that the one guy he fought, like his brain was like the detached brain the, thing, the detached brain thing, and then he took a jab like in the first round of one fight and just dropped dead. He had definitely suffered some major brain damage from yeah. this guy, and he was just a ticking time bomb at that point. Like you know, anything you know, when you have a serious concussion, you're supposed to fucking rest. 
Yeah. <laughs> but right, again, these right, guys would right fight Ed. and they'd fight like a week later. Yes. Right, Ed? <laughs> yes. Yes. I took a week off when I got mine. Was it just a week? Well, I didn't play the rest of the year, but I didn't go to school for a whole week because I couldn't focus on anything. Yeah, when I got mine, I think I was back to school on Monday. It was a Friday night game, and I was obviously not knocked out for like six minutes like you were. But Yeah, you were you were out of it. I was out of it pretty good, but. Red Gator Applejacks, Mike. <laughs> That's right. Red Gator Applejacks, baby. <laughs> so I do have a couple things in the movie if uh, if you're done talking generalities or there's any more that you want to go through. No more thoughts on the movie for me. One thing I thought was cool was when Joe was warming up before the Mount Vernon fight, he felt his hand and goes, ooh, that breaks a couple weeks away, isn't it? And then as he threw the punch, he saw the guy duck his head and hit that bone. And you immediately saw Joe wince because he knew he broke his hand on that punch. I thought that was kind of cool that he was, as being his corner man, even that he felt his hand, he's like, oh, that's going to break, and then knew when it broke too. So I thought that was neat. Another thing, I thought it was pretty shitty of when he went to public assistance and she said, I never expected to see you here, Jim. Yeah, no shit, neither did he. That's why he he felt like shit being there. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to rub it in. I thought that was kind of shitty of her. I thought Sporty is a pretty cool nickname for a sports beat writer. Sporty Lewis. I thought that was a pretty awesome nickname. I don't know if he was a real person or not. I can tell you this much. You know, you're talking about Bear didn't prepare much for the fight and Braddock did prepare a lot for the fight. Yes. Well, what about Russell Crowe's first fight when he hadn't been fighting at all for how long? He'd just been working at the dock. And he was able to win? And he's fighting like the number two contender, you know, like, you know, not eating, not eating hey. well, you know. Probably not sleeping well. Not eating at all. You know, just working, trying to do as much as he can, anything he can for work. And like, you know what? You can say that, but at the same time, he can say the same thing. I should have never won that first fight that I knocked out of the third Probably. Round. And he probably still says that to this day, that I never should have won that first fight. Well, not to this day. He's been dead for 40 years now. But but he did. 45 years. I appreciate years. it. Yep. I looked up also when he they front him $175. That converts about $3,250 today, which, you know, it wouldn't be enough money that you couldn't work. But it was enough money for him to, I guess, at the time, uh, you know, food and I don't know what they were paying rent-wise. But $3,250 would not get me. That would not suffice my family for very long. I'd say that much. I wouldn't be able to stop working and go well, train. he gets fronted that money after he had just won that $4,000. So. Yeah, that's true. You you went from making you know whatever six dollars. I don't know. They're probably making a dollar a day, yeah, hundred bucks or something like that, and then making like a couple hundred bucks. Well, remember he said in the the out of the two hundred fifty dollars, he got left with five bucks, and he had to go work the next day. Well, because they said they're like, oh yeah, surprise you. Well, he had to pay the pay the other people off, and then he got like a hundred something back. Right, he owed a hundred something in bills. Yeah, so he didn't really get much out of it. I'll say this, even watching this movie for the 25th time and knowing how it ends, it still breaks you down when he bottoms out, you know, standing there literally hat in hand. We talked about the scene mm-hmm. earlier. And I'm not going to lie, it didn't this time, but it chokes you up when, when he is in that bear fight, when he ducks that major haymaker and starts throwing punches out of nowhere and everyone starts going nuts, it can choke you up a little bit. It's an emotional movie. Didn't choke me up. It's tough. You're tough. <laughs> That's all I had from that. Did you have any? I know it's a movie, but I just said, how did none of these haymakers knock anybody out? 
for good. <laughs> <laughs> I know they they are it's like you know, you know you've seen Rocky. It's just like people n- nobody. I don't care who you are, professional boxers hitting you in the face like that. Like eh, oh, they'll you're gonna go down. Once again, I'm gonna say it, Mike. You haven't watched Creed yet, but there's a behind the scenes thing that Rocky uh, well, Stallone made Michael B. Jordan take a real punch from a real boxer. And he's like, you take one punch from a real boxer and it could kill you. They hit that hard. It's a, it's incredible how hard those professional boxers can actually hit like a normal person could, they could just, if they hit you in the right spot. So yes, all those haymakers, I'm surprised any of them live two fifty. I also put down May's such a little like sour puss about him fighting and boxing again. And I'm like, you are, poor so poor and he's finally trying to finally finally finding a way to make you some damn money and you're gonna like bitch at him bust his balls like, the whole time yeah. and also at the very end he's got like broken ribs and at the end of the fight paul giamatti just jumps up on him i'm like come on man like get, yep. get off the guy yeah. let's, let's, let's be realistic yeah he wouldn't really be able to lift his arms up because he's got a cracked rib or two anything else nope so the one thing I, I threw me off a little bit, I said this is almost a perfect movie, but the whole Mike Wilson stuff, the neighbor, the buddy he works with, whatever, I, I guess it was put there to show another perspective of the depression. Well, I think, and I then think... when, he, when he dies, it's supposed to make you feel more scared for May, I guess, and it gives her a connection to death. But I don't know. Like, I feel like that the the whole Hooverville thing and all that stuff like he could that that whole person and all their scenes could not be in that movie. Yeah, and you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, like it. it like, why is he hanging around the boxing gym with everybody else? And they're like, "Who's uh, our, our ass up there?" They says, uh, "I think that's how Joe Gold exactly says it." He's like, "It whooped our ass in Frisco." He's like, "Who's our ass up there?" Like, why is he around as much as he's around? That's what I don't quite get. I, again, I think it's supposed to be it's supposed to provide another snapshot of life in the Depression and how it affected other people. But, again, I, I agree with you. They could have completely removed that, and you never would have thought twice. You wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah. So that's the only thing I had. So additional internet facts. We talked about Braddock, Joe Gould, and Max Bear. So some Russell Crowe stuff. Professional boxers played Jim Braddock's opponents. They were told to land their blows as close to Russell Crowe's body as possible. Unfortunately, they sometimes couldn't call back, pull back in time and ended up injuring Crowe, including he had several concussions and cracked teeth. Uh, filming the boxing sequences was so brutal, Russell Crowe said the movie was four to five times more difficult than Gladiator. Uh, he dislocated his shoulder while training for the film's boxing, se- boxing sequences and delayed the filming for two months. So it really did him in. Boxing movies will beat your ass. No shit. I also saw something that, unrelated to this, uh, the, I think Lasky, Griffin, and um, John Henry Lewis were all actual professional boxers. And Corn Gri- the guy that played Corn Griffin didn't want to get knocked down because he didn't get knocked down in real life and he didn't want to think his opponents to think he could get knocked down that easy. Something like that. Which I can understand. Sounds kind of weak to me. A little weak, yeah. It's a yeah. movie, but it's their it's their ego. 
But the last thing I had was, so according to Steve Croft during an interview with Russell Crowe on an episode of 60 Minutes, the role of Jimmy Braddock is Russell Crowe's personal favorite. So I thought that was cool. I'm glad he liked it that much. That is all the facts I had. There were some more, but I just didn't really want to get into them. And you kind of find out his, <clears throat> what actually happens to him in the role credits at the end. Our final piece here we can't really do a where are they now because a we already know where they are now they're real people and b this took place in the 1930s and pretty much everybody in this movie's dead except for braddock's kids so we were going to skip on the recast but mike you said you had a couple but one other thing i brought up was is there anyone who would have been better casting when this was filmed in 2004 and 5 is there any any characters you would have liked to have seen recast by someone else at the time? You know, I was. It's really tough to see somebody else do it, and the only person I could think of to have that like rugged, tough look would be like a Gerard Butler or something like that, maybe. Yeah, and I don't even know. I don't think he was even big yet. I don't think Three Hundred had come out yet, right? I don't think so. Yeah. And they're probably. See how old Gerard Butler is compared to because Russell Crowe is fifty five today. I think, I think Gerard, I think Gerard, Gerard Butler's Butler like fifty. Should be a couple years younger. Uh, Nineteen sixty nine, yeah, fifty. Well, he will be later this year, so he could have worked. So I had not necessarily for Braddock. I would have left Russell Crowe alone, but I'm not a big Renee Zellweger fan. You're not. Neither am I. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I pulled up a couple people that were somewhere between. The age range of Russell Crowe and Renee Zellweger because he's five years older than her. So some people that might have been better. Ashley Judd, Naomi Watts. Yep. I actually thought about Naomi Watts because she's Ed- kind of like, I call her like the A Renee Zellweger. Like Renee Zellweger was like the B yeah. Naomi Watts. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fair. That's pretty fair. Uh, I had Lisa Edelston. If you've ever watched the show House, she was the very attractive brunette that was like the um, CEO of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the other one I thought would have been really good because this was, although her career was kind of in flux, is Robin Wright. I think she would have been pretty good as this. I can see all those. But I don't, she might have been too tall. I was throwing like Nicole Kidman and Julia Roberts in there too. Yeah, they were both around the same age. And I, I was kind of thinking like, I don't think Julia Roberts can play a number two very well. She's too much, um, too much of an on-screen presence, especially back then. Especially back then, yeah. Like even you know the oceans, the oceans eleven. She's every scene she's in, she is very in the scene. Or Charlie Wilson's War, which is a few years after this. Every scene she's taking over the scene. It's just kind of it's just her personality and her acting abilities. So those were like four people I thought that. Naomi Watts, again, is probably the perfect example of, of what would have been maybe a better better casting. But as I said earlier, he kept coming back to her saying, I want you in this part, and she did it. Neither one of them have any form of a New Jersey accent, and it's pretty obvious, but whatever. He sounds more like he's got like a New York Boston or something like that, like not really. Well, I... Braddock was born in New York, but moved to New Jersey when he was very, very young. So anything in that area. And his parents were Irish immigrants. So maybe that's all blended together. But she kind of tries to have like a New Jersey accent and it just does not go very well. That's the one thing I would say is not very good is the accents are. Yeah. Kind of like some of the people in The Departed. 
Like Leonardo DiCaprio's attempt at a Boston accent in The Departed is atrocious. And then you've got or Alec Baldwin's attempt at it versus your Matt Damon just flipping right back into what he's used to. Did you have anyone else you wanted to recast in 2005? I wouldn't have like I wouldn't have touched Paul Giamatti, but I just threw if, if like we are re, if we were recasting like maybe like a Stanley Tucci or something like that. Tucci's always um, good. And that like anywhere you want to add him, I'm. I'm and then instead game. of somebody uh, for Craig, how do you pronounce his last name again? I think it's Bierko. Um I put down probably could have beefed up like a Vince Vaughn or a Ben Affleck. Vince Vaughn would have been interesting. Vince Vaughn might be a little bit too tall though. Because I, I was he, I felt like this guy was supposed to, Bear was supposed to be this big guy. So I just so Bear Bear was six two. Braddock actually was six two in real life. Also, oh, okay. uh, Russell Crowe's six foot. Bierko is six two. So that that was they tried to make it a little bit bigger. Vince Vaughn's like six five. I think it would have been a little yeah. bit. Too I was, that's why I, was, I picked him because he, he was big. It would have worked for the movie. For for factuality, it would have been probably a little too much. But for the movie, it probably would have worked. Um, but yeah, other than that, no. I said if I was, gonna, I have like okay. a little bit. If you want me to know what I redid, if we did it now, who I would select? Sure, yeah. Do give me a couple um, people there. I threw down for Braddock. I put down uh, obviously either a Tom Hardy or because he does fighting in lots of movies. So and he's mm-hmm. probably around forty. It's about the about right age. age. Or that or the haven't seen him in much recently, but that Sam Worthington. He has that like tough like look kind of, and he's a decent actor. Yeah, guy who I've picked for Bear, I put down Arnie Hammer. I was just trying to pick something like I said. I go, I thought the guy was supposed to be big, so I picked a bigger guy. I wanted bigger. Yeah, a you bigger, need someone went, that's tall. I wanted to. You want it? It's Cinderella, man. You want it to look like it's pretty much like David versus Goliath. You know, it's kind of you know what you yes. what you're looking for for the role of Paul Giamatti's guy, Gold, Michael Fassbender. Because he sure. can finish play anything. <laughs> and then yep. I put down uh, for the chick, Diane Kruger. I like Diane Kruger in there. And I always consider her and Naomi Watts kind of close. Well, you know, attractive blondes, just Naomi Watts is about 15 years older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're right around that point. For the record, Tom Hardy is is uh, 41. He'll be 42 All later right. this year. And that's kind of what I fit. When I looked, I looked at Russell Crowe's age, and I, wanted, I knew they were going to probably pick somebody around like 40-ish. Because he's supposed to be in his twilight years. I don't even know how old he actually was during these fights. Like in real life. Uh, I could probably tell you here. Give me a second. So James Braddock born in 1905. And he was fighting in 1934. So he wasn't even 30 yet. Right? Do I have that right? Yeah. He wasn't even 30 yet. When he won the world, the world heavyweight oh, title. They really make play that up in this. Yeah, because Russell Crowe was 40, yeah. well, and she was like 35, I, 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 so they made him a when, little bit when older. I, when I read it, they said that the movie was very accurate, except for the age of the children. So the kids were probably younger, I bet, than they actually were in the movie. I guess so, yeah. Look how old Joe Gould was. He was born in 1896, so he was 10 years older. So he was more like in his, he was more around 40 then. All right, Mike, anything else on the movie before we go? And the fact that it's really, really good. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's long. It's about two hours and 15 minutes long, but it's worth it. No, I mean, like I said, good movie. Can't really say anything else about, you know, can't say anything negative. If you've got, if, if you can, watch it with your dad. 
both to you, Mike, and in general, if you're listening to this, if you get a chance to. This is a good dad movie to watch. Oh, my, I know my dad. I know my dad. I know my dad's seen it too. Our next movie, very different tone. Another one of my five favorite movies of all time. I'm lining them up this year. Wanted to get them in. We'll just say it's my favorite comedy, and it takes place in a stereo store. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> and it might be the most quotable movie of all time. It's up there. So this movie that we just did, it takes place in New York, right? Yes. But it was shot in Canada. Yes. Okay. I was looking up these boxers yeah. you just talked about, and they were all from <laughs> Canada. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did read about how this was shot in like, Ontario Yeah, they and filmed Toronto. it in Toronto because they said uh, New York City didn't look Depression-era enough anymore. It's changed too much. <laughs> we got to go to Canada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got to go to Canada. It's depressing. So follow us on Twitter, at WorthTheWatchPC. Like us on Facebook. Email us if you got anything. Worth the watch podcast at gmail.com. Mike, our Instagram. Uh, it's worth the watch PC. Um, there's a, instead of spaces, it's underscores for each one of those. And don't forget to share our information too, our Twitter handle and all that stuff. We'll, we try and put stuff out there at least once a week and post a episode every other week other than that uh we'll catch you next time sounds good